Thank you, Rob. As uh, many of you will realise, we've been going through a series looking at lessons from the life of, and we've looked at various characters from the Bible and various uh, events and occasions from the Bible, stories from the Bible. So we've looked at Gideon and we've looked at Thomas and we've looked at uh, the story of the unmerciful servant. And this morning I want to talk about Barnabas, a character in the New Testament, Barnabas. You see, he was one of the key figures uh, that we read about in the New Testament that we encounter there. And yet it seems to me that he very seldom gets the kind of recognition that I think is warranted. We mostly tend to focus on the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul or John. And we don't hear a great deal about Barnabas. And yet it seems to me that I don't honestly know how the early church would have grown or would have developed in the way, in the healthy way that it did, without Barnabas. Now we first encounter Barnabas, and we learn about his name, in Acts chapter 4. I'll read that to you. So, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So, Barnabas wasn't even his real name, but he became known as the encourager or son of encouragement because that's who he was and that's what he did. Just a little aside here. The word translated encouragement there is from the root word paraklesis. And for all you Greek scholars out there, and I know you're watching, for all you Greek scholars, that's actually, you'll recognise, that's the same word that's used to refer to the Holy Spirit. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in that way. He says, I will give you another comforter or another parakletos, the one called to stand alongside us. And that's the nickname that the first leaders in the Jerusalem church gave to Barnabas, someone who was called to stand alongside people. So I want to look at how Barnabas lived out his nickname of the encourager. And it seems to me that fundamentally he was an encourager because he saw what God was doing among his people and he chose to wholeheartedly invest in that. He saw what God was doing amongst his people and chose to wholeheartedly invest in that. And the clearest demonstration that we have of that is how he handled his resources here in Acts 4, which we read a minute ago, we read about how he cashed in a valuable asset just because he loved the church. He doesn't seem to have been responding to some urgent, specific appeal from the leadership at that time. He just loved the church and he wanted to invest in the work that God was doing amongst them. You know, it is so encouraging, particularly for leaders, when people freely and unprompted choose to give themselves to what God is doing amongst his people. 
It's been hugely encouraging for us here at YCC to see exactly that same heart demonstrated. Now, I interact with quite a few of the other local church leaders and quite understandably, many other local churches have seen their income, the giving from their members, substantially reduced over this recent period. And yet, remarkably, in YCC we've seen exactly the reverse. Income has actually increased. That is so like Barnabas. So encouraging. Seeing what God is doing and eager to invest in it. And people have been like that in YCC. And if you're part of that, if you've been involved in helping in that way, I just want to say thank you. If you've been investing like that, thank you. We appreciate it. It is so encouraging. Then moving on in Acts 11, we see Barnabas involved in something rather similar once again. During this time, some prophets travelled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So, the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders in the church in Jerusalem. So here again we see Barnabas involved in blessing others in practical and financial ways. You see, Barnabas was probably the key leader in Antioch at that time. And therefore I am absolutely confident that the reason the church in Antioch responded as they did and wanted to give and chose to send it by Barnabas and Saul was because of his influence. And I bet he was amongst the first to give. And then, many years later, Barnabas just gets a very brief mention in one of Paul's letters, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul there is defending his authority and explaining how he has chosen, willingly and freely, never to insist on his rights as an apostle. And he says this, This is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us as the other apostles and as the Lord's brothers do and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? There we see it again. Barnabas, still after all these years, tirelessly investing in God's work amongst his people and, like Paul, insisting on doing it at his own expense. Now, tragically, we do hear sometimes about scandals involving Christian leaders. Some of them sometimes seem all too eager to get rich on the back of their ministry and on the, pe on the backs of the people they are called to serve. Not so with Barnabas. What an amazingly encouraging example he is. Here he is still wholeheartedly investing himself and all that he had in order to build up God's people. But for Barnabas, this investing 
went much further. Yes, he saw what God was doing among Christians and he wanted to get fully behind it with his resources, but he also saw what God was doing in the lives of specific individuals and he chose to invest in them. He gave himself to mentoring and discipling and teaching them in order to see them grow to their full potential as mature believers. We see this first in Acts chapter 9. Paul, or Saul as he was then called, had been persecuting the church. And then he had this remarkable encounter with Jesus whilst on the journey to Damascus. He immediately, following that encounter, starts telling people about Jesus. But some of the Jews there were very, very uh, angry at this and they tried to kill him. With the help of some of the believers in Damascus, Paul escapes and heads off to Jerusalem, hoping to meet up with the other Christians there. But understandably, the believers in Jerusalem were just a little bit sceptical as to whether Paul was actually genuine, whether he was really legit. Bear in mind that it was only just very recently that he, this person, had been complicit in the lynching of Stephen, the first martyr. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. So when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he'd truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told, him, told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And so Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. You see, Barnabas saw this new believer and recognised that God was genuinely at work in him. And he wanted to invest in this young man. So he took the risk. He took the risk of taking this enthusiastic, if immature, young firebrand of a guy, Paul, under his wing and helped him to become integrated with the rest of the church. And, you know, I wonder how the history of the church might have been different if Barnabas hadn't done that. Now, over the last nine months particularly, we've been sensing at YCC that God is seeking to prepare us for a significant influx of new believers, of people who are finding their way to Jesus, becoming followers of his. Now, we didn't anticipate the current situation we face. But it is, I think, significant through this crisis that many people are beginning to think about the big questions of life. People are starting to pray when they would never normally have done so. People are watching online gatherings like this one when they wouldn't normally attend any, go anywhere near a church. The interest in Alpha has suddenly increased, I gather. Now, it doesn't require any great prophetic insight to foresee a time when there will be lots of people finding their way to Jesus. And they will need people like Barnabas. People who will notice them. People who will trust them. People who will see how God is at work in their lives and help them to become a part of the church. Now, maybe you don't feel able at this point in time to lead an Alpha course. Maybe you don't feel up for discipling a new Christian or mentoring someone. 
but perhaps you could help them to feel welcome and accepted. Introduce them to others and help to integrate them. So that's something that you could do as we hopefully move to a time when we meet together again physically. And then moving on, we come to Acts chapter 11 and we see Barnabas once again investing in young believers. We read this. Some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas. When he arrived and he saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Given how encouraged the leaders in Jerusalem were by Barnabas and how he behaved, it's no surprise that they had the confidence in him to ask him to relocate some, I think it's about 300 miles north to Antioch in order to encourage and disciple the new Christians who were there. And what a beautiful and simple description we have of Barnabas there. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. It's worth reflecting on how others might summarise our own lives. That's how they summarise Barnabas, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. I wonder how others would summarise our lives. Or indeed, I wonder what affirmation Jesus himself would speak over us, summarising how we are. But that's not the end of the story. <clears throat> Acts 11 continues. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So Barnabas continues to invest in individuals, specifically in Paul, the guy, the protégé, if you like, that he'd been instrumental in helping a few years back. You see, he had clearly seen huge potential in Paul and decided that it was worth his while travelling about 100 miles north to Tarsus to go and find Paul. He couldn't just ping him a message on Facebook and suggest they meet up halfway he had to go and search out for Paul and he finds him. But for Barnabas, he could sense that what God was doing in Paul's life was significant and he wanted to invest in it. He wanted to foster it. He wanted to facilitate it. He wanted to help this young guy. He wanted to invest. And again, I wonder how the history of the church would have been different if Barnabas hadn't done that? How would things have developed? How would, church, uh, would Paul ever have been commissioned to plant all those churches or write all those letters to the churches that we now have in our New Testament? And then notice how the relationship that had begun as mentoring has now grown into partnership. They are now colleagues, Paul and Barnabas, in teaching and leading the church. 
Now, I know there are many within YCC who are in various sorts of mentoring relationships. And if that's true of you, I want to affirm and encourage you to keep on investing. Keep on investing. We may not always feel adequate. We may not always feel capable. We don't always have the answers. We don't sometimes know what to say to those we're investing in. But God can and does use us. We may never truly appreciate the incredible impact that we have in the lives of others. That is a legacy of Barnabas. He invested in Paul. And the fruits were amazing. The dividends was immense. But there's one further example that I'd like to highlight. A relationship in which Barnabas invests over the long term and through some ups and downs, but which ultimately bore incredible fruit. And that's the relationship he had with his cousin, John Mark. Mark, you see, was a young man, an early follower of Jesus, and very deeply involved in his home church, which was in Jerusalem. He clearly had lots and lots of potential and was keen to serve. So when Barnabas and Paul um, travel to Jerusalem they, from Antioch, they take John Mark back with them. And when the Holy Spirit directs the two of them to step out and start travelling and planting churches, John Mark joins them. But then something went wrong. We don't know exactly what it was, but shortly after they set off, it seems like Mark just found things a little bit too hard. The challenge was just a bit too great. It was outside of his comfort zone. He perhaps craved for the familiar. So he quit and he went back to his home. Maybe we know some situations, maybe you know some situations where there's been people in whom we have been seeking to invest, pouring ourselves out for them, people who seem to have lots of potential, but then they just don't seem able to sustain it over the long term. Their commitment seems to, to fade off when things get a bit difficult. Or maybe, sometimes, we can be a bit like that ourselves. Very enthusiastic, keen to serve, and then things get hard. Maybe we quit. Anyway, that's the background to this story. And yet it was some years later that Paul suggests to Barnabas that they go back to see the progress of the churches they planted. And we read about this in Acts 15. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Now we don't hear a whole lot more about Barnabas after this. The rest of the book of Acts is largely focused on the work of Paul and so it would be quite easy to assume that as far as Barnabas and his cousin Mark are concerned, they didn't do anything very significant after that. But that would be utterly and completely wrong. Because we know that somehow Mark went on to become the right-hand man 
for the Apostle Peter. And drawing on Peter's first-hand memories, Mark wrote the Gospel that bears his name, the first written record, we believe, of the life of Jesus. He did do something significant. And the relationship with Paul clearly did get sorted because when Paul wrote to the Colossians, Mark is with him again. And Paul tells the church there to welcome him. And then right at the end of his life, as Paul is awaiting execution in Rome, Paul writes to Timothy, asking him to come to him. And he says this, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. How is it that this guy who had messed up and quit when things got hard is right now absolutely in the centre of things again? Right at the centre, supporting Peter and writing his gospel, which has become utterly vital for the church for the past 2,000 years. I am confident that the primary reason that John Mark, who had failed, was restored and went on to be deeply significant in the early church, is that his uncle Barnabas never gave up on him, but continued to invest in him. And that investment paid massive dividends. Maybe there are people that we've been mentoring, someone perhaps we've been praying for, who seem to have given up. Yet God can turn things around. God can turn people around. If we will persist... Maybe we're not able to have much direct involvement in their lives at this time, but we can still invest in them in prayer. Don't give up on people. And God doesn't give up on us, for which we should be deeply grateful. And there's just one final lesson I'd like to draw from the life of Barnabas, and it's this. If we want to have an impact for the kingdom... There is no place for personal ambition. You see, Barnabas was this good man, filled with the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. He was a mature Christian who took this young believer, Paul, introduced him, mentored him, discipled him, taught him, gave him an opportunity to lead alongside him, partnering with him in planting churches. But if you read Acts very carefully, you will see something quite significant. Up until verse 12 of chapter 11, we consistently read of Barnabas and Paul. From then on, the order changes and we read of Paul and Barnabas, almost always. Barnabas was clearly gifted as an evangelist, as a teacher, as a pastor, as a prophet. He's even referred to as an apostle. Yet when we get to this point in their relationship, it's clear that Paul's gifts had grown beyond those of Barnabas, his mentor. And that's okay. There is never any hint, no suggestion that this posed any kind of problem for Barnabas. Because he had no personal ambition, no desire for status, no seeking of recognition, no interest in comparing himself with someone else. His only desire, his burning desire, was to see others, those in whom he was investing, like Paul, come to maturity. 
he would fully concur with what his mentee Paul later wrote. Jesus is the one we are proclaiming. We are instructing everybody and teaching everybody in every kind of wisdom so that we can present everybody grown up, complete in the king. That's what I'm working for, struggling with all the energy which is powerfully at work within me. So the key lessons that we can learn from Barnabas are these. See where God is at work and invest in it with all that we have. See in whom God is at work and invest in them all that we can. And never allow personal ambition or personal comparisons to get in the way. You see, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus and investing ourselves to help form the church, the people of God, the church that Jesus desires and the church that Jesus deserves. Let's learn from Barnabas. We're going to move back into worship in a minute, but if there is anything that I've shared or uh, that's triggered something in you that you would like to pray with somebody about, then please feel free to do that. We're going to uh, have opportunity at the end for people to, to meet up over a Zoom call. And if you would like someone to pray with you, why don't you send an email to live at yeovil.cc and we'd be happy to pray with you if anything that's been said this morning uh, triggers something in you and you would like to process that with Jesus. Thank you, Vic. Over to you. <laughs> 